Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. As we get ready for the new year, I hope you're feeling happy, healthy, and staying safe. I think we all know what that music means. It means it's time to buy a new calendar and think ahead to the next year. For some, the new year is a new start on old habits. For others, like me, it's time to make some resolutions. But why do we make them every year when every year we break them? I spoke to Alberta-based life coach Michelle Charles Gustafson about just that. We are human and being human we like to improve. It's in our DNA. We want to be faster, stronger, better, happier. And so at the end of every cycle, including a year, we look for ways to test ourselves, measure ourselves, and figure out how to be better. And so it's natural as people um, to see the gaps between where we are and where we want to be. Uh, what we're doing and what we want to achieve, and then to measure our capability and capacity against that. It's exciting if you think about it the right way, but it also can be burdensome. And there's a, a huge emotional side to that burden that can actually keep us from being happy, even though that's the thing we we're trying to chase after. We'll have more with Michelle a little bit later on in the show. Now, the most popular resolutions shouldn't come as much of a surprise after a busy and often indulgent holiday season. We all want to exercise more, to lose weight, and if we can't lose weight, we'll only buy pants with stretchy waists and no buttons. We all want to save money or spend more time with family and friends. Those resolutions top the list. But I'm adding a few more. Personally, this year I promise to look back at all the resolutions from the last few years and give them another shot. But really, if I'm honest, my real resolution of the new year is to stop making further resolutions and simply follow the words of Benjamin Franklin. Be always at war with your vices, he said, at peace with your neighbors, and let each new year find you a better person. As we turn the page to 2023, I asked a number of experts how we can make the new year better for ourselves and for those around us. I'm Christina Crook, and my new book, Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age, is available for purchase everywhere. And if you're considering New Year's resolutions this year, I would encourage you to prioritize your digital well-being. You can do that by taking on the three C's of digital well-being. So people that are happiest with technology use it differently. They use it for three purposes. They use it for community, creativity, and care. So care could mean self-care or care could mean care of others. So just shifting the ways in which you use the internet from being a passive consumer to being an active participant, an active engager on social media platforms is going to help you move more mindfully in a good direction with your digital habits. That was Christina Crook. She is the Marie Kondo of digital and author of Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age, a thoughtful book about realigning our energies, increasing intentionality, and prioritizing our well-being in the digital age. Later, we'll meet Tara McKenna, creator of the Zero Waste Collective and author of a new book, 
called Don't Be Trashy. I love that. She has some easy resolutions for people wanting to live a sustainable life. Then Michael Harris, author of All We Want, Building the Life We Cannot Buy, stops by with some resolutions as a roadmap to a healthier future. Before we get to all that though, let's meet Humble the Poet. He is a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, internationally best-selling author, and former elementary school teacher with a wildly popular blog with over 100,000 monthly readers. After the international best-selling success of his book, Unlearn, Humble the Poet is back with a new book, How to Be Loved, with short chapters filled with insight, advice, and personal anecdotes from his own journey. This book is a guide to self-love that helps clarify your path inward towards the inherent love and value that is within each of us. It's perfect reading for the start of a new year. Humble the Poet joined me from his home in Los Angeles. It's about self-love as much as it is about uh, outward love and outward expressions of love. What brought this on? It's a pandemic book, but what was your thought process? Um, in my own, you know, my entire career is, is selfishly trying to learn about things. And mm -hmm. then, you know, my books are me sharing my notes. I'm, I'm the kid at the front of the class. <laughs> and uh, in my own personal life, I was trying to better understand uh, the challenges I was facing, both from a standpoint of receiving love from others, but also understanding love for myself. And um, I took a really deep dive. This is actually, I was thinking about it right before the pandemic. I, I had gotten in a relationship and things were getting very serious and I wanted to improve uh, the quality of partnership that I was providing. Um ironically it took me the other way and um you know mm -hmm. working on this book actually resulted in that relationship ending um as i had a clearer understanding uh of myself and um that i wasn't in a situation that i should have been in so it it was really a commitment to me trying to really understand what really is love and discovering very quickly that there's we are all so thirsty to feel love um but there are so many things that are just facsimiles they're not the real thing and uh, in my life, in my career, in my personal life, with my friendships, um, with almost everything I was doing, I was chasing all the wrong things. I was chasing affection in all the wrong places. And um, this book is a product of me trying to gain a better understanding of that and then simplifying it for other people who also feel like love is very complicated. Well, let's start sort of at a, on a very personal level then. Is it possible to be in love if you don't love yourself first? Um, I think it's possible to discover love in your relationship with other people. Um, but I think it'll be a very narrow and weak pathway. Mm. Uh, one of the big ideas is we don't love other people. Other people show us where love is. So love is a never flowing, uh, you know, entity or experience, uh, that we create pathways with other people. So it's really more so about the idea that we can feel love from other people and we can experience it and, and create a bond and a connection with other people. Um, but the the strength of that bond really depends on our relationship with ourselves. And how do we know then when it's real? I, I think that you hear all the time people are in relationships that that have all the outward signs of feeling real and feeling like, oh, they must be deeply in love. And then you find out a week later that they've broken up, they were never really in love. So how do you know? Is there is there's no metric? I mean, it, there can't be. It's not an algorithm. 
Um, there's, there's a beautiful quote that I included in the book from uh, Naval Ravikant that says, you know, love, it, love is what remains when all other emotions are gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really this idea that we have to let go of things to experience love. So when we say, you know, how is love real? It's more so the idea of are we misinterpreting the things that we think are love? Attention, validation, attraction, power, control, safety. A lot of these things, we, we you know, we'll chase these things thinking that they're love, codependency. Um, so really the question that people should be asking is how do I feel? around this person um you know love isn't something that you receive or that you earn it's not a prize you know it's it's the it's the default it's the not wanting more and i think as we experience that and and also the best thing to do is look at the metrics of genuine love we know we have whether it's for a parent whether it's for a child um the type of love that we experience that didn't require any work to get there you hold you know i think about holding my baby niece for the first time and i was full of love instantly you know she didn't have to do anything or be anything to get that or earn that and we didn't have to establish anything that's what love is and um in in modern relationships we have to look at love much more as the fuel to work mm-hmm. on the relationship um instead of the glue i think there's a big idea that oh if you love someone everything will just work out it's like no love is what's going to make you work your butt off (laughs) to make sure it works out because coexisting with somebody living with somebody sharing chores with somebody sharing finances with somebody you know love love, love's not an answer to these things love is just a fuel for you to have those uncomfortable conversations to deal with that stuff do you think that social media, and I know you're often critical of social media, but mm. do you think that social media and the idea that we get a thousand likes on a picture, and so that must mean that they really love us, has changed our uh, relationship with the idea of love? I think most definitely. I think, you know, growing up, when we talked about the coolest kid in school, you know, it, it was still an arbitrary idea. Now there's mm-hmm. like metrics, there's exact numbers, there's <laughs> followers, there's all of this. And, and the crazy thing too is these numbers and, and these these likes and these comments, they're not even based on who you are. They're based on an algorithm that's designed to keep people on the platform. So mm-hmm. really, when you when you measure yourself on social media, you're measuring how well am I keeping this business afloat? How well am I keeping people excited to be on this platform more so than anything else? And it subtly tells you what people want. And at the end of the day, you know, it's an attention economy. So what people want is stuff that grabs their attention. It's like rubbernecking a a, a car accident, you know, on the, on the road. So, you know, you start to post things and start to measure your worth based on how much engagement it got. That's going to subtly tell you who you need to be to continually get engagement. Um, and that's taking you further away from your authentic self. So now you're, you're you're pretty much outsourcing, you know, your your personal value to other people. And, and that's really self-esteem, um, where self-love is really going to be revealed in self-respect. Um, which is going to come from the hard things that you do to make yourself proud of yourself. I often think that one of the reasons that you've been so successful with the books and with speaking and and just even in this interview, I, I hear it, is that you're you're authentic. There is nothing that feels inauthentic about the things that you say. Do you ever wonder uh, if maybe you're oversharing or if you're giving away parts of you uh, to the public in a way that that makes you feel uncomfortable? 
I think the irony of it is some advice I've recently received from my therapist was to to share more and to be more <laughs> vulnerable. <laughs> um, so I think that there's an irony there. I think what I learned, I think, you know, I grew up, you know, I grew up in Toronto. I grew up in Rexdale. I went to school in, in, in the challenging side of Rexdale. And, you know, for, for a lot of young men, you know, vulnerability was seen as a weakness. Mm-hmm. So we really kind of hit ourselves. And I think even as somebody who who writes well and puts words together well, I was still able to initially be very strategic with it and not view it as therapeutic, but view it very performatively. I'm going to, oh, I, I know what I can share. And then you start to realize things that you don't consider are a big deal worth sharing. Other people would never do. Um I'm learning now that the only way, you know, I crave depth, I crave authenticity, I crave all of that. Every moment that I've ever had of that depth and authenticity came from vulnerability. Mm. Um, even before I was an artist, when I was going through trouble and asking people for help, whether I messed up financially or messed up in my personal life. And, you know, so so for me now, it's really about craving that connection with as many people as possible. I've I've been in this game if you call it long enough to realize I don't have fans. I have readers. I have people that mm. appreciate my work. I'm not trying to be a celebrity. I'm trying to, I'm trying to add value to this world with the thing that I do do best, which I practice the most, which is putting words together. So I think for me, um, it is really important to be authentic. I don't think I've shared enough. I think sharing too much and and, and my process for sharing right now is Share as much as you can, especially in the first draft, and then worry about it later. Because there's, it's, it's not simply sharing your own personal business. Sometimes it's sharing other people's business. Sometimes it's sharing things that you may not even have permission to share. It's everything. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the idea of vomit it all out, and then we'll 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 fix it. We'll fix it after. We'll address it after. Because you know this this book is arriving um, probably an entire year after we we finalized it. So this, there was a lot of time to really go through everything and and there are people much more talented than me with much finer tip combs going through it to ensure I'm quoting the right people I'm making the right reference I'm you know I've I've cited studies I've done all that stuff so from that standpoint I have that that ability to to look back at it but um I think it's important I, and I think especially um I've been really kind of welcomed into the wellness space uh with open arms especially here I'm I'm in Los Angeles right now and one thing I really noticed with a lot of people here is they they really speak this linear story of, uh, hey, I used to be really messed up and then I figured out the solution and now I'm not messed up. And for 1995, you can learn my secrets. And I was like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not how I was raised in this like linear mindset. It's, yeah. For me, it's cyclical. So it's like, for me, my story is, hey, I'm messed up. I made a lot of mistakes. I'm doing work to figure that out. Here's what I've learned. And now um, I'm still messed up. But we're figuring this out together. And, and and in the book, I actually, the last chapter, I equate the entire book to, um, I'm just explaining the differences between broccoli and French fries and what's healthier, what's more nutritious, why we like one over the other. And I'm like, and while I'm writing the book, I'm eating broccoli and French fries out of the same plate. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, I'm not, I'm not a love guru. I'm not a, I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm, I'm the kid at the front of the class who's taking notes and doesn't mind sharing. And it's all an evolution. Mm-hmm. I think that this idea that uh, you can take this pill or you can start thinking this way and everything's going to be fantastic is is codswallop. It just doesn't work that way. And I think that the the process of evolving how you feel is probably much more beneficial. One thousand percent. I think, you know, for me, um, 
it's growth. I, I'm chasing growth. I, mm -hmm. you know, when when you're a child in elementary school, every every year is a new teacher, a new classroom, a new desk, maybe even a new best friend. It's just a whole new experience. Um, and I think I became addicted to that. And I really want unlimited growth in my life. And and that requires me to, especially as an adult, to voluntarily make myself much more uncomfortable, knowing mm -hmm. that those uncomfortable and unfamiliar situations will unlock a better version of me, a bigger version of me. And um, that's constantly what I'm seeking in these situations. And, you know, I'm extremely grateful that I've been able to parlay that into a career um, that really works where it's, hey, if I do this work, people find value in it and they put me in a position to keep doing it. And we can continually do this. And, you know, I've already have I already have three other book ideas in my head just from the process of writing this, selling this, promoting this. There's just so many emotions that come from that. And the, the deeper and more vulnerable you get with people, you start to see a pattern in what everyone struggles with and realizing that my job is to take these heavy ideas and make them simple. Um, I can take a lot of these things that really create chaos for people and help simplify them just a little bit more. That was Humble the Poet on The Richard Krauss Show. His book, How to Be Loved, is available now wherever you buy fine books. Let's meet Tara McKenna. She's the founder of the Zero Waste Collective and the author of Don't Be Trashy. Today, she joins me with some simple and effective ideas on how we can all live more sustainably. And we're talking about uh, New Year's resolutions today. You've woken up, it's January 1st, and you think, okay, I'm going to make some changes uh, what are the first three things that people should do? One simple thing that people can do, probably just rounding up stuff in their own home, would be to create a zero waste kit. So if you want to reduce your waste, I think when people think of zero waste or eco-friendly living, they might think of the reusable bag or a, a, a reusable straw and all of those things. And actually those things are really great. And you probably already have a lot of those items in your house. You have cutlery in your drawers probably, right? And you've got a reusable travel coffee mug or reusable water bottle. You probably have 10. Uh, round up those items and have them ready to go. You can either leave them in your backpack or leave them in your car. Um, just having those ready to leave the house so that way you're not caught like, oh, I need X, Y, Z. And typically as a reusable bag at the grocery store, that is like the most common thing. People are like, oh, I should have brought my own bag. So if you have your kit ready to go, then then you're set. So you're going to reduce a lot, a lot of like single use waste that way. Um, but also another thing that might be a little bit more broad, um, but is really impactful is to stop chasing trends and just develop your own sense of style. Because one thing that we start to do is, is we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And, you know, we're, we're getting over that kind of like holiday season. We've just spent a lot of money. We might have a credit card bill hangover that we're dealing with. But if we start to develop our own sense of style and stop keeping up with the Joneses and reduce our consumption, it'll really help. So it, it's a bit broader, but it's also something you can literally start doing today. Like, what do I like? I don't need to, to care what they like. What do I like? So then you're consuming based on your personal preferences. Um, and then if you are getting into this and you're, you're like, oh, it's a new year, new me, I'm doing all of these things. Don't become the plastic police. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, become available for conversations that are productive with people. If you're like suddenly like, I'm all, I'm just going to use the reusable, sorry, reusable straws. Um, and then you see someone using a plastic straw and you're like, whoa, no, 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 do not use that. Like, don't be that person. Nobody wants to be that person. Plus, quite frankly, if you're caught with a straw, they're going to 
look at you and be like, what the heck? So yeah, lead by example. And if people want to chat about it, that's great. Every year, many of us make resolutions. Those are promises to ourselves on how we're going to live our lives in the new year. On the show today, we're looking at making changes in our everyday lives that will not only benefit us, but those around us, right? And that's a good thing, right? Later, we'll hear from Alberta-based life coach, Michelle Charles Gustafson, who offers advice on how to motivate yourself and make something called unresolutions. First though, let's hear from best-selling author, Michael Harris. He wrote All We Want, Building the Life We Cannot Buy, which is available now wherever you buy fine books. He talks about resolutions as a roadmap to a healthier future. I think that the consumer culture we have right now is constantly selling us happiness, right? And that has been the goal for so many people. When we, you know, their resolutions were often about uh, getting skinnier, getting that better job, mm -hmm. uh, maybe paying off your mortgage. Happiness and that, that idea of a, a satisfied life is what we've been sold. A resolution could be not measuring your life just by happiness. I don't believe that happiness is the only measure. Uh, you know, like in, in the book, around the halfway point, I talk about Aristotle for a little bit and his idea of eudaimonia. This is his alternative uh, to, uh, to buying things. His alternative is what if we focused on flourishing as human beings? What if we focused on becoming the best versions of ourselves? The, the alternative to happiness, which is, you know, uh, which is focused on getting something, achieving something, is living something. So that's what the book is, is offering up as alternative goals. So one of the goals is craft, right? Uh, mastering a, a certain uh, uh, craft. Uh, one of the goals is an appreciation of the sublime. One of the goals is taking care of other people. These are totally outside of the world of consumer culture, right? But they are these uh, arenas of meaning and purpose that we've kind of ignored. So if you're looking for, for like those big level resolutions, I would say it's reimagining what a good life could be. A craft, I understand that. So what is the pursuit of the sublime? The sublime chapter that I wrote was all about me uh, hiking around uh, kind of like the skirt of the glacier at, at Lake Louise. Mm. So that experience of being overwhelmed by the natural world. Um, some people find the sublime in the religious. I'm not religious myself. So for me, it was, it was the natural world. Um, and it, it does a funny thing for you at on, on one end, the sublime, makes your little troubles feel very insignificant, right? <laughs> so whether or not you bought the right bottle of wine or you're wearing the right expensive sweater, that doesn't matter when you're you know, in the tube of a wave and you're surfing or when you're under a blanket of stars at night, right? If you can feel connected to, to the infinite and you realize how, how small your little worries are, that's incredibly healthy mentally. Um, and yet at the same time, this is the funny thing about the sublime. It makes you feel like your troubles don't matter, but if you really experience it, you get that kind of shivering awareness of the grandeur of things. Mm. You also feel connected to something much bigger than who you are, right? That's the amazing kind of paradox of the sublime. At the one hand, it, it, uh, it kind of sloughs off all of your anxieties 
And on the other hand, it makes you feel uh, truly integrated into a, you know, a beautiful universe. So if you had to kind of boil this down to something that people can do starting today to uh, build the life that you can't buy, to create this roadmap for themselves, what would you suggest starting with? I mean, practically speaking, what we're talking about is buying fewer things, but buying better things, right? And hopefully, you know, all those other things we just talked about, all those value shifts encourage you to step away from uh, the kind of, for example, the fast fashion industry, uh, which is inviting you to get all these quick dopamine hits uh, off of a, a purchase today and then another one tomorrow. If we can reframe our consumer mindset into not, not a kind of uh, denial of the things that we want, but, but a reframing of what is worth buying, I think that would be a great place to start. I should add to that, though, that, uh, you know, if you're having trouble making ends meet, you are not the problem. So we shouldn't be making people who are buying, say, cheap clothing who can't afford anything else. Those people don't need to feel bad about what they're doing. It is, it's the wealthier of the world, it's the middle class of the world that need to adjust their behaviors. That was Michael Harris, author of All We Want, Building the Life We Cannot Buy. It's available now wherever you buy fine books. We have so many great resolution experts on the show today. I couldn't have Humble the Poet, author of How to Be Loved, on the show without asking him for his take on resolutions. As people are looking forward to the new year and probably making resolutions and thinking about things they might want to change, do you have a couple of things that you would tell people as we move into 2023? Yes, do not make New Year's resolutions. You know, uh, studies show 80% of New Year's resolutions aren't even kept um, within the first week. But also to set a resolution, it's, it's much like setting expectations in a relationship. And, and what you're doing with the resolution is creating an expectation with yourself and creating conditional love. So you're saying, oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. So now what you're doing is, you know, and even if you create that as an affirmation, I'm going to lose 10 pounds and you, you remind yourself every day. You're also reminding yourself of where you're not. You're not there right now. You know, you, you haven't lost that 10 pounds yet. And then you give yourself this promise that once I do lose 10 pounds, I'm going to feel a certain way. Um, and again, we can we can materialize and visualize a lot of things. I don't think we can do the same thing with our emotions. We don't actually know what it will feel like to, to hit these goals. And they don't feel as good as we ever think. Um, and often the only way to hit a goal, whether it's losing 10 pounds, making a million dollars, doing whatever, is when your goal is even longer. You know, if you want to make a million dollars, aim for five. You want to lose 10 pounds, aim for 20. And so more, more importantly than that is set intentions, set directions. I want to live healthier. I want to have a healthier breakfast. And, you know, work your way up to having a healthier breakfast, then work your way up to lunch. And that progress you can celebrate forever. And knowing that how you frame your progress matters too. So if I ate healthy five days in a row and then went to Taco Bell, that's okay. Because we're looking at it in terms of a week right. and that's okay. Or we'll look at it in terms of a month, how we frame that. So I really think set a direction. Set a, you know, and, and, and the important thing with that is when you set a direction, even if it's a very vague direction, like I want to be healthier, that orientation will help you pick up on little things. Um, the word sin actually translates to be without aim. Mm -hmm. You know, so the only true sin is to live without aim. 
pick a direction and so often we don't and 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 picking a goal of saying i want to live healthier i want to walk longer every day i want to wake up earlier and and focus on the baby steps if you're waking up at noon every day right now and you want to start waking up at 6 a.m don't jump to 6 a.m <laughs> like literally start yeah. with 11 45 and slowly yeah. make your way there because the time's going to go by and i think that's a very important thing realize that there is no good enough or enoughness or worthiness when it comes to a person these aren't ways to measure a human being you know you can measure enoughness in terms of your gas tank in your car or money in your bank account, but you as an individual are 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 worthy and and enough as you are. So don't promise your love after you hit a certain goal, because that just severs the relationship with yourself. And even if you believe that you could be better, understand that the concept of love is so vast and beautiful that it can love things that even people don't consider lovable. You know that's what that's the beauty of love. So instead, you know, always focus on progress even in, in, in terms of baby steps, um, focus on direction. And then the goals you have for the new year are much more sustainable. And also you don't have to wait for an arbitrary date on the calendar, you know, that occurs in the middle of winter. Anyways, <laughs> pick any time, any moment you can start and um, celebrate, celebrate the progress that you make. Let me reintroduce you to Michelle Charles Gustafson. She is a life and success coach who teaches successful and happy achievers, entrepreneurs, professionals, and leaders in self-belief, self-care, and self-presentation. Today, she talks about looking at resolutions through a slightly different lens. Michelle Charles Gustafson joined me via Zoom from her home in Alberta. We all make resolutions, or most of us make resolutions. Why is it that we find ourselves feeling bad when we break them? Is it just because we've broken a promise to ourselves? You know what? I read a study a little while ago. Um, it took some polls of participants who were doing activities and habits and wanting to change. And it said that 80% of the people who make a New Year's resolution have broken it within the first 19 days. It's over at 19 days, okay? And the, the, problem, the problem with that is, is that in those 19 days, you were, you were motivated, you were excited, you, you, you thought you had capacity. And the reason why that gets broken, in my standpoint, when I work with the clients, when I have helped people change, it's that it's born from the wrong place, okay? And so when we, you find that you slip off of something, of creating a new habit, which is all a resolution is, a, a lot of, they're creating new habits. Mm -hmm. It's because it has not been um, crafted from the right intention. It's just saying, I want to do something, but there's no why behind it. I want to lose 15 pounds. Why? Because I want to lose 15 pounds. Well, that's not enough, okay? And the thing about it is, is that though we want to improve, um, you know, as humans and as a species, you know, it's not necessarily just about survival. It's about what's meaningful. And the problem is at 19 days when it drops off, it tells me that whatever you chose to choose is not meaningful enough to keep going. It's not meaningful. And when um, it's not meaningful, it means that you haven't decided what you're learning in it. You haven't decided what you want to learn about yourself about your world, about your relationships, about your habits. And so that's why it falls off. And then you get that New Year's resolution uh, guilt, uh, dip, um, sadness, mad at myself, frustrated at myself, hopeless, anxiety, um, overwhelmed, sadness. All of those things come into the chaos of a person when they don't complete 
and when they quote unquote fail. And as I share all the time and all my things, confidence comes from finishing. And if you don't finish, even regardless of judgment of that was a good finish, win, loss, whatever, if you don't finish something, you don't learn, in which case it's hard to build confidence around it. So all that to say, you have to figure out the learning behind the resolution. What am I here to learn about myself? Then you figure out how to finish in that learning. When you do that, it sticks. And not only does it stick, it provides momentum for the next thing. You're listening to Life Coach Michelle Charles Gustafson. Find out more about her at www.hewinstyle.com. On this show, we have been talking about resolutions, New Year's Eve resolutions. Uh, you have something, a theory about unresolutions. Tell me about that. Well, this kind of goes back to the whole chat because to unresolute yourself, it just means that we're going to take a different perspective on how we decide we want to improve. So instead of making it a win or loss resolution, promise to yourself that you may potentially almost inevitably break, in which case what happens, like think about it, what happens when you break a promise to someone? You feel guilty, you feel frustrated, you feel sad, you feel, you feel all of these things. Well, I want to keep you away from those feelings. And I want you to settle instead on a feeling of being, giving yourself some grace and some self-compassion, in which case you say, instead of me winning or losing, what can I aim at that will help me feel more comfortable with myself, more happy with um, the life I'm building, and will help me change others then? Where can I share that? And so those kind of resolutions aren't actually resolutions. Those are intentions. And uh, for the people I help, uh, we do an intention setting situation and, and we set intentions based on larger areas of your life, not just, okay, I want to lose 50 pounds, but like, how do you want to approach your confidence and your creativity and your wellness? Okay. How do you want to approach your supportive relationships? How do you want to approach the work that you look at as meaningful, right? Because everybody, if you're doing work, it's meaningful work. And then how do you want to approach how you are in the communities? And um, I, I love, because we're people and we're doers, um, to look at the English language or whatever language you're speaking. And the verb is the doing word. So we do an exercise where we, we define the verb of how we want to do any area of our life. And then we define the adjective because I'm a wordsy girl. So then we define the, the, or no, not the adjective, the adverb, which is how you do the doing word. Okay. How are you approaching your communities and your work? So are you unabashedly championing your work? It gives you a sense of going, you know what, instead of winning or losing, I can always be aiming at an intention, always aiming, right? Do you ever hit, do you hit it all the time? Not all the time, but you can always aim, never losing. That was life coach Michelle Charles Gustafson. Find out more about her at www.hueandstyle.com. My final guest today brings what is probably the simplest advice that we've heard yet today. William Shatner and I spoke around the time his daughter went into lockdown in Rome, and he just had one bit of advice for her 
and for us. I got a, an 18 year old who's stuck in Rome. Uh, uh, she was went there to learn Italian and all of a sudden they closed everything up and she is really sad and upset about it. And exactly what you said is what I told her last night. You know, go with the flow. Learn uh, uh, learn Italian in the in the hotel room, and when you're done, you'll 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 have learned more than you would have in the three weeks that you're locked up. I mean, just go with the flow. That's and that's that's a universal message. That's what you tell a baby crawling on the uh, on the floor. Come on, baby, go with the, <laughs> going forward and 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 accepting what life throws at you. That's a universal message. That's universal. My, my granddaughter in Rome. Or uh, uh, some ulcer in uh, in a home right now. Uh, it, go with it. Uh, read, uh, play, uh, listen to music. Uh, the 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 wonderment of what human beings have done on Earth exceed the bewilderment of the harm we've done. So go with the flow. That was William Shatner, aka Captain Kirk. He's been to space for real. So I think whatever advice he gives, even if it's simple, like just go with the flow, and we really should probably take it. A big thanks to all my guests today, Michelle Charles Guftison, Christina Crook, Tara McKenna, Michael Harris, and of course, William Shatner. My biggest thanks, as always though, goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. In this new year, stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon. (laughs) 